This is bullshit. America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. And welcome, welcome to, to the, the Necessary, Necessary Bullshit, Bullshit Podcast. Are we just doing it like NPR style today? Yeah, welcome, welcome to, to the Necessary Bullshit, Bullshit Podcast. Podcast. Do they right. always speak very quietly? But that's the that's the yeah. famous trope of, of NPR. Yeah. It's like, uh, I want you, this is the goal of NPR. We're going to tell you important information, and we need you to stay awake. But we're going to make it very difficult. Yeah, see, that sounds like nighttime radio. But like... we're going to make it very difficult for you to do that. <laughs> They're like, and this next story is about how a woman had sex with her ex-husband, but it turns out he was dead. You are very terrible at improv. I know, okay. I know. That's yeah. why, that, that's, yeah. That was bad. That's why uh, I'm not. That's yeah. why I'm not doing it. <laughs> so we're doing a little bonus episode. Yes, today. we are. Yeah, we just, um, we recently both put out a few essays that um, I think are related in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to the idea of, of certain freedoms now Josh's essay has a little bit more to do with economic freedom and mm-hmm. mine has to do with uh, sort of personal freedom and uh, communism, uh, specifically in the context of the Soviet Union. Josh's was certainly more of a, I don't want to say free right, but it was definitely something more of what he just wanted to do on his own. Yeah, yeah. And mine for context was something for, I have a history of contemporary Russia and the USSR and the USSR for uh, the, the university. And so this is a, an academic piece that was just supposed to be around 1500 words. And so I just, I wrote a piece, strung it together, um, making just a simple argument. So I think we're going to get into these and um, yeah, I don't know if you would just want to have any opening thoughts. Uh, to that yeah, sure. So, um, so Ian kind of basically from my understanding of reading it and we'll go through this, he kind of took this approach of, which the first question I have too is is he basically links that that classic liberal slash libertarian thinkers believe communism is anti freedom and leads to many violations of human rights. That's a direct quote. Um, right. And I and I basically have never heard of that argument. You know, basically saying that the counter argument to that of anti freedom is the fact that a true communist system has never been tried. And so I think Ian is like, well, then let's test that. Let's look at some of the true communist uh, stuff. Now, mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, to, to kind of flesh this out, because I I definitely use that argument that that, that for socialism and certain aspects of it and yeah. communism that like it hasn't never really been tried. And there's been like tyrannical and authoritative offshoots, which I think, you know, I have we'll even get into in your essay. Yeah. Yeah. And we're yeah. even going to get into with, with this, too, about yeah. certain examples you've provided that to me still sound tyrannical and authoritative, which I think and I, maybe you meant it that way. So, like, we're going to go down that path. But um, I've actually never heard that used uh, in, the, in the in the in the concept of freedom. I've, yeah. I've heard it used. So most of the time that I use that argument is just because I feel like the critiques, some critiques are unfair. Mm-hmm. So when people say. Oh, that's not going to work. Look what the, they look what what they did over here. Yeah, yeah. The what aboutism. Yeah, like what about these guys that tried it? What about yeah. these? So yeah. I use the argument that it hasn't really been tried because I don't think that like I don't want I don't think it's a weak argument in my opinion just to say that it hasn't worked before. Like, well, then tell me a little bit about the ideology. Be specific with me. What is it about the ideology that is going to fail? Don't just say that like somebody tried it and failed. Right. So right. that's how I'm familiar yeah. with the whole hasn't truly been tried argument. Mm-hmm. Like, I want your kind of understanding of, of what, what you necessarily mean by that argument being used uh, for, for anti-freedom. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess the, the only sense where I'm using uh, freedom through this lens is that, you know, for a long time, the West and America has been very, uh, has been attributed to sort of freedom laden values in the sense that the American way is the best way we're free. And, and, uh, and anytime that there is some type of socialism put in place, it's not that it's, that it's unfree, but it's that there is so much control put on the state that we are virtually unfree. Now I have a lot of issues with freedom in that context because which we'll get into well, in that's a, in the a kind of episode. thing so when, yeah because yeah. one of these things too yeah. it's like we're gonna have to really define what we think is freedom you know yeah. what i mean i think yeah. that's where we're you and i are probably gonna maybe disagree on is exactly what our concept of freedom really is yeah you know and it's just like what does that mean is this true freedom where we have to make every choice on our own and I, i'm not i'm just trying to be devil's advocate here i don't agree i don't agree like pers- I don't agree that the state should be running everything uh, as yeah. a communist system kind of lays out. But then again, though, like the goal of communism eventually is to do do without a state eventually, uh, socialism in particular, which is a branch. And and so like there's just there's certain aspects of like where I just want your you know what is your idea of freedom in the context of losing it in a communist system? Yeah, I guess it's just it's freedom to be an individual. You know, so I I link uh, in uh, later on in this piece. Uh, let's see if I can just find it right here. Uh, darn it, I'm trying to. But how so? But, well, okay. So in the sense that, as well, let's just say, let's just again give more context here. I am putting this in context of the Soviet Union, right? In the sense that people like Vladimir Lenin took direct direct inspiration from Marxism, right? And his and Marx and Engels view of communism and where it should go. And the tenets that I give here, we even previously discussed in our uh the second episode in the series on creativity, happiness and meaning. And they take these tenets and try to directly apply them. And so one of the things that ends up happening is that individuals begin to lose their sense of identity and they become closer and closer identified with the state. And that's where I find where freedom, I think becomes important to talk about in the sense that your individual, your individuality is lost in under communism. And that's where I'm, I guess, trying to get at. Sure. But what I'm yeah. telling you is that, so is it, are you talking about your economic individualism? Because what I'm seeing is this, how is it to me? I'm just trying to ask sure. you. Yeah. So if you're in a communist state and we're saying that like, now you, you're, everybody's going to be collective for this. Like you're going to work this, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Yeah. Where is the individual being lost? Cause I might still have a name. I might still have hobbies. I might still have my family. I might still have things I'm doing individual interests and likes, what you're t- what I'm seeing is that the only individual aspect that that is that is taken is like my maybe my career path or maybe my like just because I have to like the state like you can't critique the state like I'm just I'm wondering what you mean by the loss of individuality because they're right. still individuals. Well, I mean, of course, there's individuals. Right. The, the, the thing is, that's, though, why, that's why is, I wanted to be more def- definitive uh, uh, on the terms yeah. under communism in the Soviet Union. Almost everyone except you know the uh, uh, the governmental leadership was forced into labor labor positions in the sense that everything they did their waking life was for labor for the state right and so they in a sense lost any other thing that that defined them it was just labor for the state 
And so they became identified with the state. You see what I mean? Kind of. I mean, I'm so st- like, okay, so because I'm saying it's like even 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 if they're, I guess, you know, and then maybe it's just me, like, you know, not understanding what you're what you're really trying to say here is I like, yeah. just like, even if you if you take away. So for me, I'm not defined by my work is what I'm saying. I work because I have to. I define myself course, sure. by yeah, all yeah. many other things. Yeah, yeah. So so saying that like the state's going to force you. So ba- I, I'm what I'm seeing is like you're losing the only aspect of the individuality that you're losing is the job or the work. Yeah. The, in the center of the work. Right. Right. And so I guess maybe you're right in a capitalist system, people do define their individual, their lives by their work. I'm see is what so. I'm saying is that under communism and then the Soviet Union specifically work is the only definable thing. Okay. Because all everyone's time was completely dedicated to that. There was no time for hobbies, you know, like people, you know, anytime anybody expressed uh, some kind of political di- uh, dissidents, they were sent to labor camps and right. forced to work. And even still, uh, uh, peasant farmers and mainly bourgeois uh, middle class people were forced into collective farms right. where all they did was work to collect resources for the state. They didn't have a sense of, well, I'm, you know, working to save money to, you know, uh, go, you know, take a holiday somewhere or, uh, you know, I want to do this big thing for our, our family. There was even, uh, some small farms in the Soviet union, uh, in Siberia, I think, no, it was, it was Southern Russia where some of these communal farms before they were largely collectivized by the state, they had their own kind of religious uh, rituals that were still linked to the Orthodox church. But because the state was actually relatively, uh, uh, widespreadly uh, atheist, they came in there and tried to remove their uh, their rituals when it came to uh, religious celebration and anything like that, and and force them into larger collectivized farms to solely produce. Because the thing was, is Lenin and later Stalin, they were lagging behind in the West. You know, they basically, you know, during World War II, well, and even after, uh, immediately after the revolution, the Bolshevik revolution, they were severely at an economic loss. And so in order to catch up to the West, their idea uh, in order to catch up was to work, 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 and to develop enough economic um, uh, gain in order to compete with the West. No, see, but that's the thing too. It's just like, and again, I'm not trying to like use the same argument, but every example that I kind of hear, it it sounds like a tyrannical offshoot. Like you have, you know, you you have these moments where I talk. You talk about the moral code, right? This moral code that was yeah. that was put out, and yeah, and yeah. you talk about. I said you talk about the code of morals set in 1962, claiming that they're similar to the manifesto and its measures. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of them were, but the first one on that list, devotion to communist cause, love towards the motherland, and to socialist countries. Yeah, which. I say I'm not 100% sure if that's in the manifesto, but to me that sounds like a like that they're sneaking in author like authoritarianism like they're sneaking yeah, that, that in. Yeah, that's not in that's not in the manifesto. Okay, that's, that's what I thought. That's so in the like, moral code. So I feel like but, it was almost yeah, but that's what I mean, but you're you're basically making a causal link f- from the moral code into the manifesto and its measures and the first moral code is this very tyrannical authoritative statement of like you need to devote yourself to the communist state. Yeah, and I mean this yeah, I mean this this moral code was specifically this was later era Soviet Union and I'm using this basically just in juxtaposition of the uh, the of the measures that were placed in the Communist Manifesto. Obviously, the Communist Manifesto is a lot larger than just those. Oh, two it, no, of course. We, oh no, it is. It we, is. It is. Yeah, uh, we, we can't cover the whole thing. You know, and again, that would be another seven-hour podcast. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so my yeah, I guess my uh, 
my uh, reason for for using that comparison was the, in the sense that, like, yeah, the Communist Manifesto and its measures were meant to uh, build up the state and potentially leave room for people to, to be more creative and have more free time. I, you know, if if we want to talk about communist goals, the problem was is that in the implementation of communism, at least at least under Lenin. And his interpretation of it. Now, even Marx himself uh, praised how Lenin uh, was was inspired by his work in the sense that um, they were trying to directly apply it into a living and working government. And it, what so happened to be is that people did lose their sense of selves and their sense of individuality and solely focus on work. Now, again, it could be the sense that you have a few people at the heads of state taking this ideology and saying like, look, we need to get to a, we need to get to a certain state of life here. And so to do so, we need to focus on, on work and, and identifying with the state. I'm just having a a hard time separating those two things. I'm I'm having a hard time separating the ideology and the practical implications of it. Thank you. And that's why, because that's why I was confused about, because the initial start of the article was like, you know, look, this is, it's, this is the counter argument that true communism has never been tried. That's why, uh, that's why that's the argument for anti-freedom. And then you use examples of, of, of Stalin's Soviet Russia, the communism, which was the tyrannic offshoot. Cause you even say in your paper, you you clarify that that Stalin actually went a different route than what Lenin was really focused on going, and you said he yeah. fo- he said it. You said it was different because he focused on mainly military development, and he allowed some individual freedoms, is what you said. And yeah, I, what, yeah. And then you allowed also, is a weird word that sure, I probably sure. shouldn't. I shouldn't have used that. I should have said probably more laxed. On, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So anyway. and they allow individual. And then you even said that they're trying to compare, like they're they were trying to compete with the West. And so what I'm saying mm-hmm. is like, so for me, it, it seems to me that communism was started, but then other motivations came in trying to compete with the West, trying to be the top dog, kind of nerfing it to boosting your military, to putting people in labor camps. And so your example of of it being anti-free just seems to me to be people that started with good intentions and then just with outside forces of the world manipulated the communism to where it was kind of no longer what communism is. Yeah, I, I just I just don't think that they ever started with good intentions. Oh, that's my fair. problem. That's fair. Yeah, you know, because Lenin himself, you know, he he wanted to get, you know, to take the working class and bolster them up in such a place where they were the important ones. Now, of course, he is what he ended up doing is forcing them into places where they weren't used to they he put them largely in the cities when they were used to mainly being in more rural areas and he put them uh into work that they had never done before right you know because it was again in service of the state and then the peasant class that were just minding their own business they put them into collectivized farms and force them into into other uh terrible situations so again my my problem is that i don't see a practical application of communism where this kind of shit doesn't happen. Right. Well, because it's human error. This is the, this is the problem. It's human nature and our intent. Like our, we cannot help. There are aspects of our nature that makes us greedy and selfish and, and like power hungry. And we, it's, it's hard to not let power corrupt. You know, this is just it, what it is. And you can, you well, can then go, why, why not make, why not design a system where 
again, like taking human uh, nature into account. You're preaching to the fucking choir. You know, I'm just. This is my. Uh, this is my whole thing about like coexistence of ideologies because yeah, you can have yeah. a system that has sewed together aspects of all of these different different ways of living because each of them, I think, in some weird way, the philosophers that created them are a just a connection to a part of ourselves, but it's not the whole picture. Mm-hmm. You know, communism, socialism, capitalism, you know, it's like all of these things, even authoritarianism and, and like, like they all drive from, from a nature within us. And we all have said that that is the true nature. Like that's what Karl Marx has started was the nature of community that, that humans build communities. Right. And then you look at capitalism. No, that's the nature of, of individual liberty and self-preservation. Like we have all these different natures. And we're thinking that all these different things should be the one. Thank you. That's like, that's, I think (laughs) that you should be able to have a hybrid and piece together because we are complex. We do feel different things. And, you know, and, and that's where it goes. But I do have a question for you. I'll have an answer. (laughs) Um, You say one could argue that Marxist Leninism still fueled the totalitarian regime by Vladimir Putin being ex KGB. I'm curious if you can expand and explain that to me. Yeah. So, okay, let me just uh, read this back here, but one could all tell you what, let me read this last paragraph. Sure, sure, sure. So we don't become fully engulfed in a narrative with some kind of desired outcome. One has to also understand that Joseph Stalin took the USSR in a very different direction than which Lenin had originally conceived of taking the country, as he focused mainly on military development and allowed, to an extent, certain individual freedoms to become more relaxed, such as the arts and film, and consumerism had become much more prevalent as the country moved into the 1970s. But one could also argue that the remnants of Marxist-Leninism still fueled the totalitarian regime that is the Russian Federation today, as its leader Vladimir Putin, being being its ex-KGB still runs the nation as if it is still behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah, so is what I mainly uh, am getting at here is that Putin is still following uh, Soviet Russia policies in the sense that he is taking the state above everything else. Recently, there were protests in Moscow, um, and maybe I can find some uh, footage of it and link it uh, in our show notes here, is that there were protests against... I can't remember what exactly it was, but something that the state was doing and the protesters were organized fairly peacefully in red square and police came, started arresting people and started breaking people's legs. Oh Jesus. Under Putin's orders. And so it's one of those things where political dissent is still looked down upon. Now Hmm. people aren't sent to prison camps anymore. uh, But you know, for even up until the nineties and even in the uh, uh, early two thousands, gays were being arrested you know, for going against that um, kind of, you know, going against the state's ideology. Um, I don't know if the state uh, still identifies as atheist. I think, like, the the church is is fairly welcome there. Obviously, you know, uh, if if they're anti-gay, then... then yeah, there's some religious some kind implications of religious there. Implications yeah, yeah, yeah. There. So it's one of those things where I feel that Putin is still pursuing... Again, we can look at this as maybe a morphed... Uh, uh, view of how communism should go i don't think putin is communist is is a communist per se Um, but he is certainly a uh an authoritarian in the sense that he is taking where russia was going at the height of the soviet union and pushing it even further so i think what you're trying to let me let me understand this then i think what you're trying to get across here with your piece is you're just trying to state that you believe that that communism will eventually will always lead to anti-freedom 
like and will always lead to the destruction of the individual. Yeah, because and, I yeah. And then you show an example of of a state that that are debatably had positive tinges when it started. Sure. Sure. And then look at how it all got fucked up. Yeah. And you're just trying to make the argument that like any time that you're going to start communism, even if you want to stick to the traditional ideology, somehow we've it always has veered to this losing exactly. of the individual. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm picking that up. I'm picking yeah. that up. So the yeah. last probably question, unless you want sure. to say anything, uh. is um, you. Uh, I just want you to expand on this. You said the Soviet Union centralizes bureaucracy with top-down planning when it comes to when it came to economics. So mm-hmm. were you talking about trying to compete with the West there? Like, what do you what do you mean with centralized bureaucracy with top-down planning when it comes to economics? Yeah, I'm reading this right now. Got Let it. me just look at this uh, paragraph here. So, sure. because the, because the Soviet Union was behind many other Western countries economically, they focused heavily on agriculture, the military, and specifically industrial development. The proletariat or the working class were thought to be the Bolsheviks, uh, to be the backbone of the nation. So, in order to meet their needs, many proletarians were subsequently required to do this. They enforced a centralized bureaucracy with top-down planning when it came to economics and followed very anti-capitalist and anti-free market principles. Yeah, so one of the things that they did was, uh, again, when I was speaking about uh, collectivized farming, um, everything, they were actually uh, fairly efficient in how they were uh, accomplishing some of their goals because there was no middlemen or anything. It was basically, especially when Stalin came into power, um, he basically whatever he said goes. And... Uh, everything down through the uh, through the Red Army was enforced from the very top, and he was able to decide, as being the head of state, what resources went where. So, like uh, Moldova, for example, um, shit, was it Moldova? I can't remember. Well, there's one country that had a very specific uh, resource. It was, oh, God, I, I'm having trouble remembering. Anyway. Um, when it came to uh, labor, for example, or collectivized farms, if they had to develop a, uh, a certain resources, uh, it came directly from him. Or as the military went, um, every order was basically pushed through to completion in the sense that there was no, you know, like in our democracy, we have <laughs> our democracy, you know, we have the president, you know, if he wants something, you know, he has to go through Congress to get it approved. And, you know, sometimes they don't approve it and it has to go back and forth. Whereas in the Soviet Union, you know, they want have something the executive done. order and the veto. And exactly. exactly. If they, if they want something done, it gets done. Sure. And so that's, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, no, no, that makes really sense. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, you know, I, that's pretty much all I got for, okay. you, for years. Great. Yeah. 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 Thanks for tearing it to pieces. No, it, no, it didn't tear it to pieces. No, you didn't. No, yeah, I, fin- yeah. I just finally understood what you're meaning. Like yeah, yeah. it's just that that lost. And, I just that's why I preface with the, the the fact that this was supposed to be just around 1,500 words, and um, it was just mainly for academics. So there was only so much that I could get across. That's why I wanted to bring it into this. Uh, well, yeah, like well, like episode. we talk off mic too. It's like we're not we're not writing novels. We're we're just we're not yet. we're trying to do thought provoking pieces. Yeah, not yet anyway. But we're just trying to do like thought provoking pieces where it's like yes, it might be a touch vague but we can expand on that and we can and we can flush out and on, on the podcast like you know when i was listening to joe rogan a little anecdote here you know he was talking about how like a lot of people a lot of his fans wait reached, you listen to joe rogan oh my god what are you a fucking right-wing nazi <laughs> your jokes are <laughs> your jokes are awful i just have to pity laugh that's what i give you my <laughs> Still laughed. Um, okay. yeah there you go but um no he was talking about his fans a lot of his fans reached out to him and and like liked that he had Bernie on the podcast because right. he said that like, that's the first time that people said that they didn't see Bernie as a cartoon. They saw him as a person. 
And that's because he had the long form conversation to be able to actually think out his thoughts. And I know. To, I, I did like how Bernie said that the debates are debates. They're, they're a joke. They're, it's entertainment. Exactly. And so what, I, what I'm saying, though, is that like, it like humanized him. And because and, Joe Rogan was like, yeah, the, the, the way that they do it now, he's not up there. Just got, you know, that's good for people. We got to do this for people. We got to take down the system. Like, he's, he's, that's because that's what, that's all he has. Why was yeah. that pretty dead on Bernie? Uh, it is close. It's close. close. Little, We've got the Tex Wall Street. No, yours is awful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yours you're wasn't so, any better. You're, you're, Please you're, let us know. Write in to us. And yeah, write in. You sounded like you had a stroke. I'm not going to sit in this chair. See, you sounded like you had a stroke. That's what you. <laughs> <laughs> okay now um lisp. here yeah. we go we're gonna get to my piece because i know yeah, ian's so gonna have fucking a hot pile of garbage yep. so uh no <laughs> so what did you t- what did you title it josh i titled it does capitalism provide individual liberties the answer is yes question <laughs> yeah so um, now that's a hook title obviously i don't mean all individual liberties but Yes. Just in general. Just, no, I mean, just, they're just aspects of, of what I, what I think. Of. I mean, I, I don't know if you want me to give my premise. I can give yeah. Give it. Yeah. Give your premise thesis, thesis statement. Here. So here's my thesis statement. Capitalism has pushed us into a consumer based economy. We have to, we basically, we're not, it's not the old school. We don't build our own homes. You know, we don't, we don't hunt for our own food like on average. And again, this is, this is just average, right? And we're not talking about the exception. I'm not talking about people that actually do hunt and whatnot, but the majority of our economy is consumer based. We buy everything that we need. Um, we have to buy our basic needs, and because we're in a consumer based system, that puts that has a lot of power on money and a lot of power on the choices that we make. Because money does dictate a lot of our choices. Because we need money in this consumer based market. My argument is this: freedom is not just the ability to have the choice. Freedom is also the capability to make the choice that you have. And that's how I say that same is often conflated with equal. And it's a misconception because of this level of capability. So just a prime example that I don't even use in the paper, but let's say that somebody lost, you know, they're a paraplegic. They can't use their legs and arms and they're sitting there. We both in, like have the freedom to walk. We both have the freedom to walk. He's not capable of making that choice. So all I'm saying is that we have the same choice, but the reason why it's not equal is because I'm capable of making it and he's not. And that's kind of the premise of where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I want to get into it. I'm going to probably break this down paragraph by paragraph. Holy Luckily, shit. Yeah, really? Okay. Yeah, all right. I've got three pages of notes. Oh, here. my Lanta. Okay. Yeah, so, um, you came way more prepared than I did. That's okay. Um, so uh, you, you have here, uh, let's see, you say, I believe in specific sectors of our economy. A more socialist approach would provide the most amount of opportunity for an individual's pursuit of happiness. Yes. Appeasing the core beliefs of classical liberalism. Um, so... First of all, is happiness really a good goal to have? And second of all, how are things like healthcare and public services linked to classical liberalism? Yeah. So the thing this is going to come off as a bit of an interview. I guess it yeah. is. Yeah. So, uh, so I think, I think it is, I think, and happiness can be interpreted in any way you want it. So I think happiness to me is fulfillment. Um, so maybe I could have used that. It's a better word to use. Uh, but fulfillment in the sense that like I, I naturally go through my life and there's things that I like. I have hobbies that I like to do and there's things that I enjoy doing and, and I want the time to do those. And, and I think that when you, when you have certain aspects that are, that are basically, and what I mean by socialistic, I I mean the concept of everybody participating to all gain a benefit Mm -hmm. in that sector. Mm -hmm. So healthcare, here's what I'm going through right now. I have a mass on my scalp. 
Okay, I went to saw my doctor. She can't it's do it. It's a bit it. of an overstatement. It's just a bump on your head. Yeah, but yeah. well, that's that's well, that's what it was described. Sure, that's okay, yeah. <laughs> Being medical here. I'm trying to, for me, it, it gives me anxiety. I'm afraid of bumping into it all the time. I, since I'm losing my hair, I shave my head, so I nick it all the time. So I just wanted it removed. Now, they dicked me around, and they sent me to a surgeon, and then the surgeon couldn't give me a price, and we did this. Turns out that for this little teeny bump, and they said it was going to be about five minutes to get rid of it, it's going five it, minutes. Of course, is what he said. I mean, anesthesiologist. No, I, I, the, I'm waiting for the high price. Yeah. yeah. So he said that the surgery is going to be eight hundred and fifty-two dollars, and I was like, "Well, that's not bad. Well, it's not bad. Okay, that's, in sure. medical terms, that's not bad." Well, yeah. my my work that provides my insurance has a deductible of two thousand dollars. So anything that happens, I'm paying two grand. Yeah. And so I called the billing lady. I want to break this down to the payment. She goes, "Okay." Okay. Oh, by the way, just so you're aware, you're also going to get a bill from the surgeon and you're also going to get a bill from the anesthesiologist. This 852 is just your base price before you get all the other bills. Yeah. What are the other bills? Oh, we don't know. I'm like, what's, I'm like, what's the eight? I go, what's the 852? What if I'm getting a bill from the surgeon and the bill from the anesthesiologist, those are the two during the surgery. So what the fuck's the 851 for? The 851 is the actual surgery. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, well, that's confusing. And then, so then I was like, what are the prices of these? Oh, you got to call this respective offices. So I call the surgery office. Yeah. Oh, you got to call the actual doctor's office and then we'll <laughs> tell you, what do I need? You need a surgical code. Nobody gave me a surgical code. You have to call the doctor's office. So I call my doctor's office. I get the receptionist. Oh yeah. Well, his assistant's in clinicals and he's got a busy schedule. So we're going to get you that code. It just might take a couple days. So if you don't hear back from us in a couple days, go ahead and give us a call. <laughs> so what I mean by that is I'm now probably going to pay who knows how much for the surgery, maybe yeah. two grand. Yeah. And again, we use money for me to have the freedom to do what I want to do. Like if I want to do this podcast, if I want to go to the movies, I'm now having to spend $2,000, right? Of my money. And that is going to hinder me from making other choices because it takes money to make those choices. Mm-hmm. So in sectors like healthcare, if they took my taxes and they were smart with it, and they actually helped out by put us on a single pair system to where a I don't have to have my shitty healthcare from my my work that charges me two hundred and forty five dollars a month to have, and b like what it does is it allows me to not have to worry about a medical bill of that size. And Andrew Yang has said this before, but seventy percent of Americans are one medical bill away from poverty. That's what I mean by. So, okay, then why do you link that to classical liberalism and not conservative socialism, which I would like a good definition for? Conservative socialism is splashing in socialistic ideologies while not losing the integrity of capitalism. Okay. Is conservative socialism. And because this thing is about classic liberalism, and what I mean by that is classic liberalism states from an economic standpoint that you should be able to pluck a random person out of society and they should have the best possible chance at fulfillment. And what I'm saying is that, like, that is the classic liberal economic policy. So that's that, why you think healthcare is is integral to that. No, I think that if you lessen on the cost of healthcare, it allows somebody to actually have the best possible chance of fulfillment because they get I to. See. Yeah. See. So what I'm saying is that in classic liberalism, you want to grab a random person, and I believe what my definition of fulfillment is of having the best possible is having the freedom to be able to focus on what you enjoy and what you want to focus on. And if I have to, and again, if, if it's linked, that's what's, it's all complicated because it's a consumer-based market. We need money. So if I don't have to worry about my healthcare costs, I am able to focus on my fulfillment mm-hmm. and I'm a random person in society, which is the economically classic liberal ideology. Okay. okay. So uh, you have another part down here in the same 
a paragraph here about uh, fears of, of socialism uh, and examples of socialist tyrannical. I'm curious if, if you have any examples of classical um, or sorry, tyrannical or authoritarian socialist uh, things that that make people fearful of. But I think we sort of covered that when we were talking about we did, like Venezuela, uh, yeah, and, yeah, and, and so, all that. Yeah, so, so you're right. That's I've met like Venezuela or or just the idea, you know. And this was just a general thing where it's like when I talk to people. So for example, remember when I talked about Danny, right? And I said, she said, socialism's bad. And I asked mm-hmm. her why. And she's like, you know, because the, the places that have failed to do it before. She didn't give me examples. She just said right, that. Right. And then when I asked her, what's the ideology? She didn't know. She, you know what I mean? Sure. So what I mean is like, oftentimes when I tell people, and I do say I'm a conservative socialist, but the socialist is such a dirty word now, you know, and people right. can't get past that. And what I try to mean by that, I'm like, look, I'm not saying that like, and they don't know what conservative means is still having like, to the integrity of capitalism in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't know that. They just hear that word and they think that, you know, I'm just a lazy th- th- this or that. And Yeah, so on on the uh, ideology question here, so I'm going to get into sort of your, uh, the second paragraph here. Sure. Um, let me just look here. Yeah, so you have uh, the, I, the term classical socialism. And I'm just curious, what do you think differentiates that from communism or Marxism? So from classical socialism, what I, what I kind of meant is I, I say classic because I want to separate my version of socialism and the, and the concept of just certain sectors of the economy, having everybody help out to benefit all. And that's just certain sectors, not all. And I think classic socialism means that you do that with everything. First mm-hmm. of all, it is, it is a complete abolishment of private property, a complete abolishment of a state. Socialism in itself is just everybody's just pitching in for everybody. So I think that classic socialism is different because it means that it's every aspect of human life should be social in nature when I don't think that's true. I think it's only specific aspects. And that's the same problem that I have with, with communism um, because communism still holds a state, but again, it goes too far They're Like you said, I agree with you that certain aspects of communism, it really just gets away that individualism. Mm-hmm. And I like certain aspects of that, but I just think that there's a point, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a point. And I think that classic socialism goes too far. And I wanted to separate that because I know the taintness of the word. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. So uh, moving on, you bring up Citizens United and you have a few statistics here mm-hmm. um, about, you know, uh, this 2017 report from careerbuilder.com. Yes. Um, that 78% of the working class are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, I'm curious exactly what the overall, yeah, I'm not too Well, I have links. At the, I have, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah I'm just meant if you, yeah. anybody that yeah. lives there, I'll have links down below um, just in case. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I want to focus on the Citizens United uh, thing here for a second. So in 2010, the Supreme Court ruled uh, on the trial of Citizens United versus Federal Electric Commission. The spending money on political causes as a form of free speech is protected by the First Amendment. Yes. Now, First of all, I'm curious if you are um, if you're wary uh, of this Supreme Supreme Court decision, and then uh, second of all, I want to maybe harp on you for a second if you're doing this, and I don't know if you are, no, but go if you, ahead. but if you think that money that they are saying that money is equal to free speech, no, what I'm saying is that what what that court case allowed is it allowed for money to become influence. And our politics. And when that happens, so I, because again, my goal is talking about indirect oppression. Mm-hmm. And I mean that through the capability of choice for the common men or the middle class and the poor class. Yeah. So when you have the, the rich 
you know, or business, look at bills, right? So you look at measures, who's funding these measures, right? Lobbyists, we're doing that. So there's so many problems that I see, like with Purdue Pharma and how they hid the research of oxy, oxycodone or oxycotton, and they profited off of that. Or what I'm saying is like, if I want to have a higher chance at success. So this is what I think. Capitalism is scaling right with time. Now, when it first started, everybody was at a kind of same opportunity and it helped us a lot. But now as more people gain wealth, right? That court decision just said that that wealth can now translate into actually influence of power. And what they can do then is they can make it more difficult for people to continue to achieve that wealth because it's easier to, to keep the wealth that you have. It's like a greed thing where it's like, and I mean that in like an overall sense, I understand that in their direct market, there's going to be technology is the most aggressive field. What I mean is something new arises and does that, but there's still other markets like energy when Exxon Mobil's buying patents. And I know we talked about that a little bit because yeah. they agreed to buy it. Yeah. But the thing is, is that what they're doing is they're using their money as influence, in my opinion, to stop things like, like having, making sure that people are paid a decent living wage you know, and that kind of aspect. Sure, yeah. So then with, okay, so with the issues here with the First Amendment, do you not think that these, this kind of spending of money is absolutely protected underneath the, under the First Amendment? I don't think it should be. And why not? I mean, because the thing, the thing is, is that you, you know, just as a simple breakdown here, let, let me just say here, your right to, uh, to speak includes the right to spend money to speak. You know, so if you have a, uh, a vision for the world or you have a strong opinion on something. I'm, and again, I'm just speaking generally here. No, of course. Shouldn't you be allowed to spend money to be able to voice your say here? Like if we're saying that these people aren't allowed to spend money on the things that they want. Now they could, they could be wrong in what they want, but don't you think in a way we're saying that those opinions aren't allowed? I'm just saying that like, I don't have a problem with, okay. So let me break this down a little yeah. bit for you. I don't have a problem if people want to spend money like on what they believe in, but when you protect that under the first amendment, it can't be challenged. You can't. So, because I think what, what people like, what we lack in this country is an understanding of context, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is that in a capitalistic system, in that context, money does translate to power. Like money does, you need capital money. And so for me, speech is not, is not as direct of a translation. So if I back a candidate, yes, I might have all my people who, who love me do that. And it might lead me somewhere. But nothing is as strong as the dollar. When you give a campaign millions of dollars to be able to do what they need to do, right? I think that there should needs there needs to be some oversight and and context of why they are doing that. And when you say that it's blanketed, any money given is protected in the First Amendment, I think that it ignores John Stuart Mill's harm principle of trying to really look into these things and see if it's harmful and see if what they are what they are giving is that. So what I'm thinking is like I just believe that in that aspect, when something is dangerous as money in a capitalistic system and giving that to the wrong person, there should be a little bit of oversight. And I mean, don't you think then uh, one, a, a possible solution might just be to, for the other side to, to match it and spend money as well to be like, look, we're, we are going to be challenging this. We're going to spend the money to try and either prove you wrong or have something better. Right. But the other side may not have that money because everything that's passed is, 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 is protecting a certain avenue of our capitalistic system. The certain few of, you know, like for example, all these companies now that are having fundraisers for Trump, you know what I mean? Cause, mm-hmm. cause lowering taxes like Trump is doing great things for, for, for the wealthy right now. And they don't want to lose that. Like they don't care about that. So that kind of aspect of, of what's going on, this is, this is just my overall point. 
my overall point is I, and this is personal experience and I, and I do understand that. I believe a lot of people are probably going to relate to me when I say this, I think about a rich man and a poor man. Okay. And I think about, we both have in this system, we both have the freedom to start our own business. Right. Mm-hmm. But am I going to get, if I don't have any capital, if I have nothing, is a bank going to give me a loan? No, they're not. I'm too high risk. Bank's not going to give me a loan. Is an investor going to give me a loan? No, I have no, unless it, my, the money is inherited, which Bill Gates, not Bill Gates, my lies. It's uh, it's Donald Trump, Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, his parents um, basically wiped out their entire savings for Jeff Bezos to start Amazon, right. which was okay. a fucking smart move. Yeah. So, okay. So I see, I see where you're going here you and, I want, going? and I want to get there. Okay. But okay. I, have, I have a Sorry. couple other, Sorry. I have a couple other questions. So that's okay. That's okay. I'll back it up. I I'm mean, excited. We're, we're, we're all, fun. we're all, we're thinking on the same wavelength here. So you, uh, in your fourth paragraph here, you talking about, you know, capitalism is all about the ability to achieve individual wealth. To make wealth, you need capital, and to acquire capital, you need money. Capitalism has also shifted our economy to a strong dependency on a consumer-based market. Blah blah blah. Sure. So, I, um, you know, <laughs> that's I, actually written in there. I actually <laughs> written, like I actually wrote blah blah blah. No. I'm so I'm, I, I'm, I'm gonna push you on this in the sense that are you taking a moral stance against, for one, individual wealth, and. Uh, are you only and then if you are are you only taking a stance when it is neg- negatively affecting others and then uh secondly is it uh is it unfair that money is required to operate in the world and what would what under what obligation is life to be fair sure so i don't know what i i'm saying that the goal is is individual wealth and i'm saying that what is happening with the, with the wealthiest right now is they're they're impeding the lower and middle classes opportunity at achieving individual wealth is what I'm saying. I'm acknowledging that that's how it is in order for me to explain that that's where the indirect oppression is coming from. So, cause what I'm saying is this, like, let, let's take our podcast, for example, here, uh-huh. you know, I want to, I want to advertise on Google. I want to do this. I want to do that. But like Google told me that if I want to make a real impact, I need to be giving $2,000 a month for marketing. You know, I look at how much money these companies are spending to prosper. And, and, and for me, and here's the thing you have to understand that there are exceptions to the rule. There are people that have came from nothing and have made money. And I'm not trying to discredit those people, but we don't make rules from the exceptions. You know, we, you see, you get what yeah, I'm saying? I, I, no, I see what you mean. Yeah. The exceptions yeah. are not made it, for the few people that have done it. It's, of course. It's, yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that's why, so there's, uh, you have this other, um, where you're talking about, uh, the freedom to open up a business, right? Yes. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm having a little bit trouble with your uh, this misconception of of uh, of same and equal, yes, I, I'm curious if if maybe you mean uh, instead to deconstruct the misconceptions of of same versus uh, equal, but maybe opportunity versus ability, possibly. But but I'm I'm coming back with the same rhetoric that pro capitalists use. What I'm saying is they say we all have the same opportunity, and they believe that same is equal when they say that, and that's not what that is. And I'm saying that the level of capability is how you differentiate the two. So again, this is the common, I think, is it's a common tactic in manipulation. And you learn this in, in certain aspects of, of Tristan Harris on his, on his podcast with Sam Harris said yeah. that people cannot compartmentalize. Episode, yeah. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Where he's yeah, like, yeah. social media provides benefits. So people cannot see where the harm is. And because we can't do that. I think the same thing is happening here. Capitalism does provide benefits. But like I say in my paper, the benefits do not outweigh the negatives. And so all I'm trying to say is that when you say that it's the same, you are 
basically just assuming that the capability is the same when that's not it. Just the choice itself is the same. How you, how it's not equal. And I, I use the metaphor in my previous paper about an out, like a staircase mm-hmm. where if you're poor, you can get, so everybody's trying to get to the top floor. Okay. Now people that have money or people that have influence, they can, they can pay to use the elevator to get to the top floor. All right. I have to take the stairs. So the end, the, the end goal, the opportunity is the same. It's the top floor. That's the same. How I get there is different. And it's about the capability. I don't get to ride the elevator. I have to take a staircase. That's how same is different from equal. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah. About capability. I, I mean, I, I guess, I, I guess I'm just pushing on, on maybe your view of what it means to be, ne- to be wealthy. Like, do you think, first of all, is it necessary for everyone to be wealthy basically living beyond uh, just comfortability and how far are you willing to redistribute wealth? Uh, secondly, uh, maybe, uh, hold on, you're moving real fast. So how far like redistribute wealth or yeah. Like, I mean, is that, I mean, are you, are you saying that these people are so wealthy that we need to have some oversight into how much money they can make in order for the rest of us to become more wealthy? No, I'm just saying that like what I think should happen is that people should just be paid what they're worth and there shouldn't be any sort of like, look, we have the taxes suck, right? Taxes suck. You and I have to pay them, right? We don't get business loopholes. We don't get taxation stuff. We don't, we don't, we're not Amazon. We, we didn't manipulate the tax codes where he paid zero on $11.2 billion of revenue last year. And like, so what I'm saying is that like, we don't have a bank account in the Swiss islands. We don't, we don't, we don't take our business. Sure. We don't have manufacturers in Mexico. So all I'm saying is this, what I think should be regulated is first of all, there's a few things. One, I don't think that they should be allowed to do that. Or if you do that, you should, you should pay a VAT tax. I'm, I'm with Andrea on the value added tax. And more particular is, is like, okay, let me talk about this that I have in my paper. Mm -hmm. Anti the HIV prevention drug. Yeah. Uh, what starts with the T. Truvada. Truvada. Yeah. Truvada was a hundred percent funded from taxpayers' dollars. The FDA, 100% funded from the taxpayers' dollars. Uh-huh. It was privatized. Mm-hmm. They sell it for $2,000 a month. It's $6 in Australia. We paid for it in our taxes, and now we have to pay for it again. They made $3 billion on profit from that. What I think the government should be doing is if we're in, so the government runs like socialism, and then we're in a capitalistic system. The government needs to start participating in capitalism. And that needs to lessen on us. So what I think needs to happen is if they used our fucking money to, to, to make that drug, they should get a dividend. The government should get a dividend from profits. That's how right. capitalism works. Right. I give you money. You give me money back when you're successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hey, I used all of America's taxpayers' dollars for you to have this drug. You just made $3 billion on it. I need a little bit of money back. I need a dividend from that because I benefited you, you benefited me. And then that's an additional revenue source for the, for the, for the government. So they don't have to tax us because here's the problem. They're not paying their fair share in taxes. I wish I could do what they do, but I, I have, I, you know, I'm, my fucking ass is going to jail if I don't. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, that was a huge rant. No, that's fine. I mean, with the Travada thing, I mean, uh, I mean, I think that's probably something that we could agree on. If, if the taxpayers are paying for something and yes. then we have to go back and, and pay for it again, that doesn't make any sense. 98% doesn't of, make 98% of drugs that are approved from the FDA are publicly funded. Yeah. So, but you know, you, you just, you just mentioned that people should be paid what they're worth. And I guess, you know, going back to this wealth uh, question that maybe just some people are in, are inherently more creative, regardless of previous access to money and more, more able, more able or more capable. And I'm just curious if 
don't you think we should, I mean, you know, however much you may or may not like Jeff Bezos, you know, in the end, somebody like him is bringing us convenience. I mean, he may, he's going to be funding, uh, you know, large scale space programs. Same thing with Elon Musk. Don't you think we should reward the people who are bringing us necessary good? I mean, that's, uh, I just don't agree with that premise. Like, I don't think that it's necessary. Good. I just look, look, Getting ethics aside of this, morally, right? I just think it's absurd for somebody to have that much money. He's got more money than ever knows what to do with, and there's people starving. I just think it's silly to me. And now I'm not gonna, again, this is an individual liberty thing because I understand yeah. that like a different person's not gonna believe the same for me that everybody should have access to certain things. But it's weird to me that people are dying of starvation and some man has so much money he doesn't even know what to do with that he's gonna create a space program. Like Elon Musk is somebody that I think is a better example that's provided good sure, uh, sure, for, sure, for yeah. this area. But yeah, here, yeah. Here's, here's, what I'm, here's just what I'm getting at. My problem with individual liberty in general is the fact that it, nobody accounts mental illness Nobody accounts for biological luck. We didn't ask for our parents. We didn't ask. We, this country does not focus on childhood development. We don't care about what our parents are doing that affects the minds of the young. We don't care what they're learning. You know, we don't, we don't make, you know, and this is an unpopular opinion I have, but I think people should have classes on how to be a parent. Because how many times, like, I hear stories about people that were like, you know, again, and I'm passionate about this because I have people that are in my past that suffer a great deal from how they were raised. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's, you know, what about people with disabilities? You know, like you have Down syndrome, you have all these other people that are trying to function in the society. And some people don't have the mind to make individual choices. And we're telling them that, you know, you have to be in this system, that that's what it is. We're designed on that. And I'm just trying to acknowledge the fact that as like a Superman figure, as we covered earlier, my, I care about, I'm empathetic to people. And I understand that there are people that won't, they didn't ask for the shitty drug addict parent. You know, they didn't ask for, uh, you know, to be left at an orphanage. They didn't, you know, I'm just using basic examples, but like, you know what I mean? Like these people, it's biological luck, baby. Like Sam Harris talks about people are born and I just... Consuming Robert's book on neuroscience, just neuroscience, and it just changed my ways now that I know that our behavior is extremely predicated on our genetics and our environment. Like, we just don't take that into account. Yeah. So, um, I, last thing I think I'll press you on here is that, so your, your last paragraph and then maybe like the last sentence, I'll just kind of read through here. So, Let's see. All these examples, all these examples, pigeonhole many Americans to have to forego individual choices, uh, to lack capability because we have to focus on survival choices, such as keeping a roof over our head, food in our stomachs, and being able to uh, get the help when, that we need when we're sick. Now, even reading, this is you, I'm quoting, even reading that last sentence back to myself, I can sympathize how it initially may came off, come off as whining or entitled. Yes. But the liberalism this country was founded on, and an economic philosophy on the ability to pull any random person in our society and give them the best chance to fulfill the pursuit of happiness. Now you you go on here in your last uh, in your last piece. I don't complain about being upset about having less and less capable of, about being less and less capable of making more leisure uh, based choices out of entitlement. I'm upset for having to work harder and harder for my basic needs, and I want my liberty of having the freedom and capability to make the choices in my life to achieve my version of happiness. Now. I mean, to me, this sounds like envy. It sounds, uh, you know, I, and I'm and I'm not trying to be like the asshole in the room here. No, but, be the asshole yeah, in the room. This <laughs> one makes it fun. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you you, you, you sound that, like envy. I know. <laughs> you sound like envy, you, you bitch. Sound, that's uh, no. I mean, it just you know, you say that you don't that you don't want to come off as being entitled, but I see this as. Uh, 
something you don't have this and I fucking deserve it, you know? And, and, and I'm not saying that you directly think that all the time, but you know, one of the things that I was thinking about yesterday as, as I was reading your piece here is that, you know, uh, of course, you you don't have to. I mean, you you work hard because you know that you you need to. Oh, you need I'll to explain make, my you, point when you. No, done. yeah, I know. You know, you need to. You need to. You know, you need to uh, spend money to make money. You need to uh, work a certain hours a week that you would rather not have to work that hours uh, that you want in order to do the things that you love, like the podcast and and any other stuff. Of course, um, but I, I'm just curious. Like, aren't you? making those choices and making those sacrifices uh to go out there and uh and put yourself in that kind of position in order to do the things that you want now you don't have to, you don't have to but you do and i i guess i'm just you know i'll give i'll just give you the example of what me and my uh me and my wife do in the sense that you know, you and I, I think have similar interests. You know, we want to do the podcast together. We have uh, similar creative uh, juices, I think, flowing through most of the time. But I myself, and you, you know, you you know, sort of, you know, make fun of me in a fun way. Yes, in the yeah, sense yeah. that, like, uh, you know, you're funny. You're funny. The podcast, and I and I don't. You know, I don't contribute that much capital to it just because you're the one who makes a little bit more money than I do. Sure. And you know, we're to- we're both, I, yeah. And, and, fine like, with that, and like, right? yeah, exactly. You I know, just, and yeah. obviously I would contribute as much as I can here, sure. so, but I recognize that I've made a choice with my wife and I to have a kid go to school and not make as much money. Whereas you, you know, however much is it your decision at all, but you know, you're, relatively single you work a certain amount of hours to have the things that you want and you make a little bit more money than i do to be able to be able to support the podcast isn't that still being able to make a choice you know i could if i want to to make more money i could fuck off all my other creative uh juices in my life and just focus on work and maybe save up some money to later on retire and then do the fucking things that i want yeah so i guess i'm just curious my last point here is that why why is it such uh, an issue to one not have the things that you want, and two not just? You know, this is going to sound very conservative or libertarian. No, that's fine. Not Go just ahead. work hard to get the things that you want, yeah, rather than be given them. Again, again, so. because the thing is, is that I feel like this is the common argument, and and I feel that most people that I talk to about this, they just don't look deep enough. You you literally just said like you know oh work hard to achieve what you have. Mm-hmm. I and I'm just gave examples like actual studies of how it's much more difficult the capability of doing what you just said working hard to get what i want that's what i'm telling you i'm telling you that the capability of doing that is is harder like and yes that might be envious and here's the thing i do thought experiments all the time what i mean is like i i didn't ask to be born into this world you know what i mean like yeah i didn't ask to be in this economic situation that i'm in i was born into this world that was already created Humans before me created the system. Humans before me created currency. Everything that I know has been dictated by the people before me. And I daydream about the fact that like the only reason that I am, you know, where I am is because enough people have just said that that's okay. And then hired me to do that and do that. Our entire system is just what we've created. So when I daydream about a system that I would prefer to live in for everybody, would be a system that has a hybrid of understanding that there is creativeness and hobbies and what you do outside of the workplace and as far as what you do within the workplace. 
And so I just don't think, so call me, yes, I, I will admit to being entitled, I'll admit to being envious, I'll admit to being lazy, if me stating that I don't want to have to work 55 hours a week to be able to just put a roof over my head and food in my belly, you know what I mean? And, and very rarely have a chance to do what I want to do outside of this place just because of economic hardships. And I'm, I'm not alone. So I look at people like they say the fucking, what drives me nuts is, is the unemployment rate. Again, that's surface level. If I, Eugene right now, it's $17 on average that you need to make if you want to survive in this, in this, uh, in this area on your own. Mm-hmm. And most places are really expensive. So if I have a job and that job pays me the minimum wage right now, it's 1125 and I live on my own. I'm now a person in poverty because I'm not, I'm barely making enough to put a roof over my head and barely making enough to get food. I'm not living, I'm surviving. And I'm saying is like, I don't care if I have a job. What is the context? What is the importance of that job? If I create 300 jobs that all pay under what you should live by, you just created 300 people in poverty. You know, and so I just, I feel that we just do the surface level stuff. So my only issue with capitalism is you say that competition is fair in nature, which I disagree. Competition is what it is. Like competition is just winning. And you see that there's, they do some shady shit, uh, some companies to win. Now I'm not saying that all companies are not fair, but it's, it's an assumption that competition and free market is fair. The second thing is it is the assumption that same is equal when they're not, you're telling me to work hard to make that choice. Yes, that is your choice to work hard. And I'm just telling you that my choice for what I want to do, I need money to make these choices because that's the system we're in. And I am less and less capable with inflation. Things are becoming more expensive. In our area, it's $1,000 a month for a one-bedroom apartment. That is absurd to me. This is absurd. So I think there needs to be regulation on housing. And and that's what I mean by certain sectors of providing me the most individual liberty is like, it's crazy to me that I have to spend so much of my hard-earned money like just to survive when we live on a planet that I feel that like if I got to thought experiment, if I got to play God for a second and shake us into like a little Yahtzee can and dump us out, I would make it to where we're in a society that we kind of all understand that, you know, like, look, there might be certain things that maybe we can all just benefit from. So we don't all have to starve and we can just focus on other things. But again, I mean, I, I guess I'll just have like one last pessimistic note here. Is sure. What, <laughs> I mean, what under what obligation is, is, is life to be fair and what, under, what obligation uh, does anybody have to survive? Sure. You know what? And I, I'm not counterbalancing that. I just wish that that's what it was. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, I'm not, yeah, you're right. Life isn't fair and it won't be. And that's why I work it. That's why I do it. Like, I understand this is the game I have to play. And I just, and like education is a big part of it. I wish I would have learned how to navigate this system a lot, like much longer, like way long ago. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm damn near about to be 30. And like, and I know it's young. I mean, I, you know, I but... wish that, I, I mean, sometimes I wish that I would have just stuck with doing that. You know, because like, I, I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm not boasting or bragging, but I think I, I was born with a pretty good, uh, or at least raised with a pretty good work ethic. But I, I was like, mm, fuck that. I'm going to be creative and, and a, a weirdo, right. you know, and do other things that, that go against the grain. And, you know, that's cost me money. Sure. Yeah, and the yeah. thing is, too, is just like, yeah, but did you, but that's the sad truth. Like, I mean, you have to think at the time you enjoyed doing what you were doing. So I it's mean, like, yeah. so what I'm saying is like, I think. When you see a choice, I see a sacrifice. You could have chose to work hard to make more money. And instead of choosing to be that, I see that as you could have sacrificed your creative side to make more money and work harder. I see it as sacrifices, not choices. Most of the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, don't you... 
Don't you think that sometimes sacrificing and compromising in life is necessary, though, to get the things that you want? I mean, I just think that, you know... Uh, and the way that we currently have the world set up, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, I guess, America, per se, because yeah. that's where I live. I mean, I guess I just see as certain... Making certain sacrifices or suffering in, in some ways makes makes what we want to do or what we find fulfilling just a little bit, just that much more meaningful. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I Again, in my piece, I think that we do need to experience suffering, but there's different types of suffering. You know, we're going to lose loved ones. We're going to, we're going to be fired from a job. We're going to, we're going to get our arm cut off. Like, you know, some people like things are still bound to happen. I am just saying that like, I'm a grandiose thinker. And when I think of how I would wish society would be not just for me, but for everybody, I'm envious for all of us to be in a system that allowed me to to have a harmonious balance between my work life and my creative life. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to combine the two and I'm finding myself personally having less and less capable of doing that because I'm finding that I'm, I'm stuck by this thing about not having the money to do so just because of the consumer-based market we built. Because if, if it was up to me, I would love to do this podcast full-time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean you're not you're not wrong, and, and that's I, I why would, it's would... up to you. No, <laughs> this whole entire thing was just for me to pitch you to get yeah. to the podcast. <laughs> right? Yeah. Please but, spend as much of your hard-earned cash on us. So. Well, Ian, I appreciate you kind of grilling me there. I think it was good. It's been a while since we've had some good conversations, sparked up stuff. But we're hitting the hour mark, so yeah. I mean, so why don't we call it there? I think yeah, that'd yeah. be a great idea. So sure. thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. This is a bonus episode number seven. Number seven. Yeah, appreciate we'll, it. We'll be back with regular content next time. Sounds so, good. Yeah. Bye. Stay tuned. Stop it. Just stop. Uh, everything that guy just says bullshit. Thank you.